Welcome to Top Shelf Podcast for Friday, September 30th. I'm Jimmy Haskup, and with me today is Kevin Allen, straight from Toronto. Kevin, how are you awake right now? Because I know you had to drive four and a half hours to get home. Well, you know, the, just the thought of doing this podcast always gets me, uh, you know, torqued up. So it was a pretty good, easy drive uh, from Toronto. As uh, most of our listeners know, I live in the uh, Detroit area. So it's, you know, just a little bit over four hours. And, you know, I saw an interesting tournament. I think uh, uh, some people didn't like the finals matchup, but you got to give credit to Team Europe. Uh, they played uh, Canada hard and really uh, forced Canada to, uh, you know, perform like Canada can in the final minutes to uh, win yesterday's game. But we'll talk about that later. Let's get to started now. We've got a very special guest, Andrew Gross of the uh, Bergen Record, who I think some of you probably know from covering the Rangers for uh, more than a decade. But now he's the beat writer for the New Jersey Devils. And uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Kevin, Jimmy, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you guys having me. And Kevin, don't bury the lead here. He's also now one of our newest teammates at Gannett. USA yeah, today, so. that's that's true. I uh, uh, I certainly hadn't forgotten that, but he is. He's part of the Gannett family now, so you'll be seeing him in uh, in USA Today, and he'll contribute on our podcast, and we'll be, uh, uh, I'm sure, uh, um, hearing from him in a variety of different ways. But, you know, Andrew, let's start out by talking about, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the new Devils this season. The biggest significant change, I think, uh, from a national perspective is the addition of Taylor Hall comes over in a pretty blockbuster trade in the offseason and the Devils, a team that really needed offense, found it in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's going to, he's obviously going to bring some offense. That's what he's shown in his career, um, you know, an elite left wing in this league. Um, But it's more than just on the ice. It's just put a charge into the entire organization to be able to land the player like that. And, And it's you know what? If, if in a base, best case scenario, this is very infectious for the whole team. This, this, you know, this boosts Mike Camilleri's game. You know, as he comes back uh, healthy from uh, the right hand injury last year, you know, helps Kyle Palmieri coming off a thirty goal season. He's uh, Taylor's probably going to play with Adam Henrique, a junior hockey line mate. You know, Adam's coming off a thirty goal season. Um, I, I just think it, it makes everyone on this team just a little bit better to have a, an offensive outlet like that. Let's uh, look at the flip side of that trade. Let me just ask you, the loss of Adam Larson, uh, you know, I, I think the uh, – uh, the perception was is that the uh, Devils won that trade in a big way, that they, they got an A or an A-plus uh, forward for a B, B-plus defenseman. But saying all that, Larson was pretty important to the Devils. And what does his absence mean for this team? And who steps up and gets uh, more minutes? Yeah, exactly, because now the Devils are auditioning uh, people to play on the, on the top pair with Captain Andy Green. They need a uh, right-shooting defenseman there, you know. Uh, defense is such such a difficult position to play in this league, and to give up a 23-year-old defenseman who is already on your top pair and who is just getting better. Um, I, I think people criticizing the trade from the Oilers' standpoint are really underselling um, you know, exactly how much value you have in a right-shooting 23-year-old defenseman. Um, you know, that being said, I, I thought the Devils made a really nice, and because of the Taylor Hall move, it was a little bit of a, 
you know, a, a secondary uh, lead there. But signing Ben Lovejoy away from the Penguins, I thought, was a really solid move by general manager Ray Shiro. You know, Ben is not a spectacular player, but he's very, very steady. He's going to bring good defense. He's already... Uh, we were out in Allentown the other night, and he made a great sliding save uh, with the goalie out of position. Um, he just plays really well in his own end. He's gonna, he's got a really big shot from the right point that can get through. So I, I like him uh, being added to the group. Uh, obviously, you know the team is really hoping uh, you know a, a younger defenseman like Damon Severson. Uh, becomes a lot more consistent and maybe can grow into that role. Um, and then they, they signed Kyle Quincy, the uh, former uh, Red Wing, the other day, and he's going to come in and add to the group. So I, I, I don't think you have a guy, you know, with, with the ceiling that Adam Larson had, but you, you do have candidates to uh, kind of slide into that top pair role. So they add uh, Taylor Hall. Obviously, he can score. Palmieri broke out last year. Camilleri, we know he can put the puck in the net. Devontae smith Pelly, he had a little, he had some success later on in the year with them. But, I mean, I still look at this team, 2.24 goals per game last season, 30th. Even with Hall and these guys producing, it doesn't seem like they have enough scoring. Do you think that they have enough? Because clearly, I mean, they have, the defense probably is passable, and you obviously have Corey Schneider in net, so you don't, have to be a top 10 scoring team to win in this league, but do you think they have enough scoring? Um, I, I don't know if they have enough scoring. I think they have improved scoring. Um, I, I think there is a distinction. Uh, you know what? What's going to be the determining factor for, for the Devils is you, you know what you're getting from the veterans. Um, Taylor Hall brings something, and now it's how does the, the young prospect the young talent that Ray Shiro is accumulating, how quickly do they get into the lineup and, and how quickly do they become very productive NHL players? You know, a, a guy like uh, Pavel Zaka, the first-round pick uh, uh, a year or so ago, he, he's, he's got a chance to be on this team. He's a you know, very fluid skater, a good two-way guy, but you know, he brings size. He can, he can do something in the... Uh, in the offensive zone, uh, Miles Wood, who, uh, like Zaka, came up and made his debut in the uh, Rangers, uh, in the uh, Devils. Sorry, see, I'm going to slip up like that at <laughs> times. But, <laughs> but uh, in the Devils' uh, regular season finale last year, Miles Wood, you know, signed out of uh, college, comes up and uh, gets a game in. And, you know, he had a really strong game last night at, uh, at the Garden against the Rangers, scored the uh, Devils' only goal in a uh, – in a three-one loss to the to the Rangers, and and would score that goal because he he got into the right spot. He he, he got himself free down by the left post, and uh, you know he had a nose to the net, and uh, he just kind of blindly spun and shot, and the puck was right where it was supposed to go. Beat Antiranta, um, and it should also be noted that Pavel Zaka uh, was the one who uh, started that play, uh, getting going down low so uh you know it's guys like that that are really gonna i think be the tipping point for this team if they can get enough scoring out of the younger guys then you know what you're getting from the veterans and maybe that does become enough scoring but but i agree that is still a huge question mark and uh the defense is still you know a little bit downgraded with the loss of adam larson 
Uh, Andrew, let me follow up on the Zaka question a little bit. Um, you know, I've talked to scouts about him for about a year, and everyone around the league is pretty bullish on his ability. Uh, can you handicap what you think uh, uh, his odds are of uh, playing with the team this season? And if he is going to play, do they bring him in slowly, or do they throw him in in a, in a top six uh, role and see what happens? I don't know if he goes right into a top six role because uh, I still think Travis Zajac will play up there. Uh, you got Camilleri Hall, uh, Palmieri. So there's not a lot of spots in the top six, I think, that are available, um, which, you know, maybe there should be for a team that has so much trouble scoring. Um, I, I, I would think that, that he's probably a top nine to start. Um, and then you see where he goes. Um, at this point, handicapping it, uh, you know, I, I'd put him anywhere between maybe 60 and 75%, uh, you know, starting the season with the Devils, talking to Ray Shiro a few times. I, I know one of the things he's worried about is rushing development. Um, you know, he, he really is taking a long-term view, a big-picture view of where this franchise needs to go. And, and although, you know, he's got to think about what's going to work right now, you know, he's, he's really building for the future here. I mean, you know, the, the, the Devils are, you know, let's face it, they're not, this is not their Stanley Cup year. Um, but, you know, if things come into place, you know, in, in two, three years, they can be, you know, one of the better teams in the NHL if things break right. And Ray Shiro continues to have good drafts and continues to add pieces, you know, because Corey Schneider's 30. So you, you still got a, a few years with an elite goalie in this, in this, on this team. So there is a window here. Um, so I know Ray has talked several times, you know, you can't rush this. You don't want to ruin a prospect by pushing him too far, too fast. So, you know, Zaka's, I think Zaka's look good. Um, I know they like the, uh, the limited experience he got after making his debut in the Devils uh, regular season finale. He went down to the AHL, got, got a few playoff games in, but then, uh, you know, injury sidelined him, but he, but he's healthy. And, you know, I, I think he's going to be given every opportunity to make the opening night roster for sure. Andrew, I'm not, too, uh, I'm not sure how accurately you can answer this question yet, but since you were around, Lundqvist was for his entire career, and Schneider hasn't been back for too long since the World Cup. Do you have any read on how you compare those two guys in terms of preparation, uh, how they do their work off the ice practice, anything like that yet? I mean, obviously, I, I, my background is much more strongly. I, I've seen how Henrik works on a day-to-day basis, and, and he's an absolute monster. Um, you know, he just he's crazy about not letting in a goal in practice. Um, and, you know, I just haven't been around Corey enough on a day-by-day basis to know. I mean, I can only, you know, infer that if he's at this level, um, and, and let, let, you know, he's an all-star. He is... He is one of the elite goalies now that he has uh, been, you know, he's grown into that number one role. He, he's earned it, you know, coming over to the Devils from the Canucks. Um, that's why they brought him here was to uh, succeed Mar- Martin Brodeur. I mean, if he is playing on that level, you know, no matter how laid back and personable he is, he is a, a, a very, very intense competitor. They all are. So I, I would suspect that he works very hard with Chris Terreri, Scott Clemenson, and his, you know, across the board, his preparation is, you know, 
I would say similar to what Henrik does, but I do not know the particulars of yet of exactly, you know, what his routine is compared to, uh, you know, what Henrik does with video and with the uh, goalie coach Benoit Larry. We'll have to check back maybe in a few weeks. We'll get you back on, see what you see where your read is. Uh, Andrew, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think around the NHL last season, the, one of the reads about the Devils was is that the work of John Hines uh, contributed pretty mightily to uh, how competitive that Devils team was. He had them playing, um, uh, you know, the right kind of hockey, as the popular saying is now. And I wonder if you sort of have a read on, you know, what's his magic formula? What, you know, what's you know, how does he get the best out of this Devils team? You know, like like any good coach, uh, he's got two qualities that that stand out right away when you watch him watch him direct a practice. And I'll tell you, every practice I've seen from the Devils, he is he is front and center. He is in the middle of every single drill. You know, the you know his assistants are there for support, but but there's there's no doubt that John is in a hundred percent control of everything during every practice. Um, He's very, very, very direct. Uh, he gets his point across in a very, you know, very uh, accurate and understandable way, and it's forceful, but it's not yelling. Uh, he's not degrading the players. He's not screaming at them. He can be loud, but there's always a positivity to what he's saying. Even when he's pointing out mistakes, you know, it, it then becomes, yet, if we can do it this way, and if the player is here and the support is here, then this is what we can accomplish. So I, I think he's very direct. I, I, you know, I've heard from a lot of the guys what a good communicator he is. Um, and, and I think he's a very positive guy. And uh, I, I know, you know, and I, and I heard it, you know, I heard it uh, from when he was an AHL coach, and I heard it, uh, you know, coming out of the Devils camp last year. Players really, really want to play for this guy, and they really like playing for him. I, I, I do think the Devils, you know, Ray Shiro obviously has a, a strong background with John back to their days with the Penguins. Um, you know, I, I think he picked a really good coach for this team uh, at the stage of where it is. Andrew, well, we'll shift a little bit to a quick Rangers, quick two questions on the Rangers or so. Uh, now that you're on the other side, I mean, you've been, you were with them for over 10 years or so, covering them for the record. What do you see? What's your assessment of this team right now? I mean, I look at the, the group, the, the forward group seems promising. The defense really hasn't changed much. And then you have Henrik Lundqvist. So you always have a chance with this team. But do you see this team as being one of the top teams in the East, middle? Are they a bubble? playoff team or what no no I, I think they're certainly one of the better teams in the east still like you said when you start with Henrik on out um that's that's a great place to start he's 34 um you know his skills have not yet begun to diminish he's still lightning quick side to side um he's very intense uh, he he really runs the ship in the you know at Madison Square Garden um, it, it's a lot of the same crew. I, you know, as much as I, you, you don't want to lose a guy like Derek Broussard, I, I did like that trade for Mika Zabanejad. I mean, he's, he's, he's a very good, good skater. He's young. He's a, he's a bigger body. 
Um, and, you know, he's clicking well so far, you know, from the reports I see and from what I've seen out of Rangers camp, you know, him and Chris Kreider and Pavel Buchnevich, if, if those three guys play together, I mean, there's, there's a chance that's one of the fastest lines in the league. And man, that's certainly the way Elaine Vigneault wants to play. You know, the, the big question for the Rangers, and it, it's no secret, they're, they're they're going to get their scoring. Um, I, I don't expect Rick Nash to have nearly as frustrating a season as he did last year. I think people are very quick to forget that this guy was one season removed from scoring 42 goals. Um, if, if he's healthy, I think he's he's still a very, very, very usable player and a very effective player in this league. Um, the, the question is, where is Mark Stahl? Where is Dan Girardi? And, you know, to a certain extent, where's Ryan McDonough? Because he he had a little bit of a, a down season last year. The, the Rangers' success is tied into really how good those three defensemen are this season, I think. Well, let, let me follow up on that, Andrew Lake. Do you have a theory on what happened to Dan Girardi? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, he was one of the premium shutdown guys, and we've all watched uh, – his game, uh, it, it's just a different game than he, he used to play. Yeah, you know, he, he played through a cracked, uh, cracked kneecap last year. He had a pretty serious knee injury, um, and he played through it. And then, you know, he said there are times that maybe, you know, he just shouldn't have been playing through it. But uh, that's just Dan's mentality. You know, he's, you know, I always thought of him as RoboCop. You know, no matter what happens, that guy he just gets up and keeps playing. Um, whereas, you know, maybe there needs to be a few concessions to the fact that he's on the other side of 30 now. And, you know, he has lost a half to a full step. Um, and, and he does need to, you know, readjust his game to maybe – you know, if he can't track the guy down, he, he just needs to take a, you know, a different angle towards the puck, maybe. Um, you know, he's a very smart player. Um, the, the Rangers are really, you know, they didn't buy him out. They're, they're gambling on the fact that the, the knee really slowed him down last year. And if he's fully healthy, he can, you know, he can play back to where he was. So, you know. I, 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 that's the going theory. I have no reason to dispute that. I, yeah, it's just, it, it was evident that he's lost a step, and, and in this league, losing a step can be fatal. Andrew, one more for you, and it's going to be a fill in the blank. The top team in the Eastern Conference this year will be who? I really like the Lightning. I, I really like what they got going on down there. Um, you know, they were in the Cup final. Uh, year before last. Obviously, everyone's going to, you know, say the Penguins, I think, because they were so dominating through the playoffs in Sydney. I mean, Kevin watched this, uh, you know, through two weeks in Toronto. The, the, the level Sydney Crosby is playing at is just, you know, outworldly. I mean, this is as good as it has been. Um, and it's, you know, as a hockey fan, it's fantastic to watch. Um, my my concern is, you know, Sid had this long playoff run. He wins the Stanley Cup, a very short summer. He goes to a, a, a grueling World Cup. You know, I, I don't know if in the U.S. hockey fans quite understand the pressure that gets put on Team Canada to just always be the champions. I mean, it's... They, they, they've worn it very well through the last two Olympics, and they, they wore it very well at the World Cup. But, you know, that's, that's a lot of mental pressure. And I'm just wondering if Sid, even though he's at this level, you know, has a little bit of a step back, uh, at least 
at the start of the regular season, uh, you know, off a short summer and everything. But, you know, as a full team, I, I really I really think the Lightning are dangerous. I, I love Victor Hedman and Anton Strowman together. I really like their goalkeeping. I, I just, uh, you know, I like John Cooper as a coach. I, I really I think that the Lightning are going to be a very good team this year. Don't think I can argue that. Andrew, we really appreciate you joining, and I'm, you're definitely going to be on the podcast again because i got to figure here the differences between uh, Schneider and Lundqvist and their preparation now the season's going. But we appreciate you joining, and we're happy to have you as part of uh, our team moving forward. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, looking forward to uh, the season chatting with you. Take care, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. All right, take, take care, guys. Kevin, he makes a good point about about Crosby. Does that concern you at all when you look at this this Penguins team this year? Well, I mean, I I think that's going to be an issue that everyone's going to watch. I think they're going to monitor his practice time because he had a very short summer, uh, and he talked about that at the World Cup. Um, and he, that one of his theories is that's why he's been on the top of his game is he's really never come down from the playoffs that, you know, he went right into training for the next season almost immediately after, you know, the cup was won. And he's really is playing at a high level. And I think, uh, as I wrote earlier this week, the most amazing thing about Sidney Crosby now is that at 29, uh, you can certainly uh, say that he's in the, this, the beginning of the second half of his career and he's still improving. Like he's a better player. Player, I felt in the World Cup than he was, you know, last season. Just you know, slightly better, but uh, a little more dominant, um, a little more focused. And I thought the uh, quote from Mike Babcock, the Canadian coach uh, at the World Cup, when he said, you know, the difference to him is is that Crosby is just unbothered um, by what happens around him in terms of you know guys going after him. That he's so focused on what he's trying to accomplish uh, that he just has tunnel vision with regard to so you know you cross check him you're not going to bother him uh you know you're yapping at him you're not going to bother him and you know what he just accomplished uh uh winning the mvp of the world cup now that means he has won the mvp of the nhl regular season the nhl playoffs and now the world cup and the only two players ever to accomplish that were the great incomparable bobby orr and wayne gretzky so i i think it sort of says that uh you know Sidney crosby is just not just the greatest player um, of his generation, but, you know, is worthy to be at least in the discussion with all the top players of previous uh, generations. So what's next for Sid then, Kevin? We, he has multiple golds at, in the Olympics, the World Championship. He has the World Cup. He has two Stanley Cups. He has the MVPs that you just spoke of. So what is there left in, for, in his career now? Well, back-to-back titles. Uh, you know, nobody's done that in two decades, and I, I'm sure that will be a focus. Uh, you know, as a general rule, for the last decade, I've gone to uh, Pittsburgh for the start of the season and talked to Sid about what his uh, goals and aspirations are, and it's always uh, things like, well, you know, I want to improve on my face-offs, or I want to be a better goal scorer, or I want to improve on my focus. I bet this season, if I went, he'd say, you know, I want to lead this team to back-to-back titles because, you know, as great as the Chicago Blackhawks have been and the L.A. Kings in this salary cap generation, they've been unable to do that. I mean, it's been since the 97 and then 98 to Detroit Red Wings that we've seen back-to-back uh, titles. So, um, you know, I, I think it is a, a – uh, 
like an objective that the that team will be uh, shooting for. And, you know, I thought Andrew Gross made a, a, a great uh, observation when he said that I think everybody will be looking at the Penguins and predicting that will happen because of how dominant they were and the fact that they were unique in the way they won. And by unique, I mean, you know, there's such an emphasis on their speed and utilizing that, not so much for their offensive capability, but for the defensive capability, um, you know, disrupting the other team's offense with their speed and giving them no time whatsoever to make plays. And, you know, Crosby is a big part of that. And I, I've always felt that he's never really gotten enough credit for the defensive side of his game, to be brutally honest. And I think everyone who listens to me on a regular basis knows that I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Taves. And, you know, Taves has the reputation of being a great defensive player, you know, Selkie uh, candidate every year. And, and I think Crosby is in the same um, uh, you know, cut from the same cloth as Taves. I think he's equally as good defensively as he is offensively. So, um, you know, he's a big part of uh, what the uh, Penguins try to accomplish from the defensive side of the puck. Kevin, okay, a few more minutes here, but I, we'd be remiss if we didn't wrap up the World Cup. We know we know too much about Canada. Everyone knows about the star power they have. But can you just speak a little bit about Europe and what Ralph Kruger did with this team? Because it was from from afar, I wasn't there. Bringing this team together with with uh, players from eight different countries onto onto Team Europe, and the fact that they su- surprised—I mean, even though they lost both games—I I mean, I think they played better for most of those two games. But maybe Canada's talent just won out. Well, I would agree with that assessment, and I I think you got to give Ralph Kruger. Uh, a lion's share of the credit, at least in terms of giving this team the opportunity to succeed. And I'm not so sure that any uh, coach in the NHL uh, could have done the job that uh, Kruger did. I mean, he found a way to get inside their heads, and he did it with a very simple statement. You know, he set it up early in the tournament as, uh, you know, you're the first team in hockey history to have no past and no future. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, it's, you're in the now. That's all you got, you know, what we do here at this tournament. And I think it resonated with the players. And then I think off his words, I think uh, these European players rose up and guys like Chara and Hosa um, and uh, Kopitar, um, you know, Yossi, uh, Sakara, who ha- just had a great tournament, I felt. Um, you know, all these guys just rose up and played, you know, maybe some of the best hockey of their careers. And I think you were right on when you said, you know, if you look at the number of spurts that uh, uh, Europe had in the finals in terms of when they were in command and then look at the number that uh, the Canadians have, I, I think they were relatively equal, if not leaning toward the European side. Um, but in the end, Canada was Canada. Uh, you know, as uh, uh, Bergeron said, and as I wrote today, um, you know, they expected to win, and their only question on the bench was not if it was going to happen, but when's it going to happen and who's going to be the guy. And, the, you know, that's why they're so, so successful. They have a swagger. They have an expectation of success. And when it was on the line, Power play goal, shorthanded goal, tying goal, winning goal. You know, it, it, you know that's just standard operating procedure for the Canadian national program. So, Kevin, I know you wrote about this, but why isn't Ralph Kruger in the NHL? 
Well, you know, right now he's uh, working as the grandmaster. Uh, it's co- actually called the chairman of uh, Southampton, uh, uh, the football club over there, but to us, the soccer club in the English Premier League. And uh, he has said uh, numerous times at the World Cup that he's fully committed to that. But I wonder uh, if he won't get a call. I mean, would, for example, the new Las Vegas franchise. I was just going to say that. How perfect would that be? Yeah, I mean, I, and he would be very good for that because for twofold. First of all, I think he could unify uh, a ragtag group of uh, uh, players and he could get them believing. Uh, and secondly, you know, he'd be great for selling that franchise within the community. You know, every time he opens his mouth, uh, you know, it's just gold, gold that comes out. Uh, you know, he's a very gifted speaker. Uh, you know, he's written a book, a self-help book on how to get through life's challenges, and he's uh, been on the speaker's tour. Very charismatic guy, and I think he'd be perfect, uh, you know, for an expansion team or a young team. You know, when you look back, and I, I think they're pretty happy, they being the Edmonton Oilers, that they got Todd McClellan as their coach. He's a quality coach, to be sure. But when you look back, you wonder why the Oilers fired, you know, Ralph Kruger, because, you know, he had had them playing pretty well that season. Uh, I think they were, uh, you know, got as high as uh, uh, third place. Uh, and then then he was fired uh, via Skype. But, uh, you know, I, I think even then people wondered if the Oilers had made, uh, made a mistake. So, Kevin, when is the next time we're going to see the World Cup? Because I saw Bettman on TV last night, and he didn't... I guess they're in discussions about when they're going to do this, and I guess maybe it depends on the Olympics if it's because Batman was kind of like it was be we're not we're not sure whether it's going to be every two years every three every five when do you think the next World Cup is going to be well the only thing I would say is it's going to be within four years so like you know we won't have one any later than uh 2020 but I wouldn't be shocked if we you know we have them uh you know sooner than that uh you know I I think this is a way uh to grow the sport uh, Ralph Kruger made a great point that in the uh, uh, non-traditional uh, hockey markets in Europe, um, you know, where like Slovenia, uh, because of Kopitar and Denmark and Norway, where they're normally not competing in a high-level competition, they were interested because their players were on Team Europe. So I, I, I think uh, if you look at the World Cup as sort of spreading the gospel, I think they'll have it a little uh, quicker than, than four years. And I, I do think they do see it like that um, as a way to uh, kind of create interest. But, you know, I, I know that uh, the good commissioner, Gary Bettman, couldn't have been happy with uh, Mike Babcock saying that, you know, hey, look, let's not get carried away. This isn't the Olympics. Well, you know what? He's absolutely right. It isn't the Olympics. That, and the difference is, is that we don't have a lot of people who are not hockey fans tuning in to see the World Cup, where it's commonplace at Olympic time for people who don't have any interest in that sport during the uh, uh, normal uh, business operations to suddenly get interested. And, you know, in our own lives, we all do that. Like most of us don't pay any attention to swimming in the Summer Olympics, or we do pay attention to swimming in the Summer Olympics, but we don't care any other time other than that. And I think the same is true uh, with hockey. A lot of people who don't know the sport tune in to watch during the Olympics. All right, Kevin, that should about do it for this week's episode. And next week, we're going to have to really get into some uh, preview stuff on the podcast because the season is less than two weeks away. Can you believe it? It's hard to believe, but I'll be ready. (laughs) I know. All right. 
To all our listeners, we'll catch you next week. To Kevin and to Andrew, thanks for joining. This has been Top Shelf Podcast, USA Today's NHL podcast. I'm Jimmy Haskup. That's Kevin Allen. And you can download and rate us on iTunes, download us on SoundCloud, and check us out on sports.usatoday.com. Talk to you next week, Kevin. Thank you.